times you have protected us that we probably will never even know until we get there. The times that you have assigned your angels to cover us when things are taking place, um, car driving or whatever. Um, I bring Gail them before you when they come back from where they are at in Naples. I believe that you will give them traveling mercies when they come home. I thank you, Father, that you are always available. It's not just a morning prayer or a night prayer or a lunchtime prayer. It's all the time we can run to our Abba and say, I need help. I need you. This person needs something. And you're always there. You're never going, oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. You know, Jesus, did you get it? No, I was busy with this one. You're always there. You never miss anything. Yet we sometimes turn our back and purposely miss what you have for us. Forgive us, Lord, we have failed you. Give us all the um, discernment that you can, Holy Spirit. Continue to work on us each and every day, every minute, every hour. And as we go into this word that is going to be presented today to us by you through your servant, that you will open us up to be heard. May we purge, you know, Father, just purge everything that's not of you out of us. Just clear it out. Give us stamina and, and clarity to hear what is being spoken, to take it to our very soul and heart, and give Rob the strength and stamina he needs to do what you are guiding him to do, to speak through him, Holy Spirit. And though it might be exhausting, Lord, you give him a lot of measure of strength and stamina to be able to do it. Anoint his lips. Anoint his lips, Lord God. You know, Continue to work in him. Show him, keep moving, keep moving, because that is what he's called to do. And those who will move with him will move with him. And you'll be there to catch the ones that can't go and move forward later. We glorify and magnify your name. May this word be a lamp unto our feet, to our minds, to our eyes. May this word be alive and not something just being read off a page, but that it's alive. May we eat it and chew on it and sharpen our swords together with it. And whatever's not of you, let it fall to the ground. Let it just go. Whatever's not of you, let it go. And we give you all the glory and honor. In Yeshua's name, amen and amen.
Thank you, Father. Oh, God, may our hearts be filled with gratitude, Lord, of all that you've done and yet to do, God, that we would be grateful, Lord. For you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are God and God alone. Father, we thank you. God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. God, that is your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that yet again you've given us the opportunity to come, to sit at your feet, to hear your word. Oh God, may we treasure the moments that we have, God, that you give us each day, God, to abide in Christ, to have your word available, Lord. For the Holy Spirit, if we are in Christ, that we have the Spirit of God within us to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our comforter. So, Father, we thank you that, Father, you have equipped us with what you've called us to. There's nothing that we're lacking, but you've given us everything we need, your word says, to live a godly life. So may we keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, community. Two definitions I've been holding up over the past year. A group of people living in the same place are having a particular characteristic in common. The second, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. There's many communities out there, but it's the Christian community that we've been focusing on over the past year or so, and what it means to be part of the Christian community, the church, the body of Christ. Christ is the center. He is the head. We are the body. We are to have common attitudes, interests, and goals, not based on what man has designed, but based on how God has designed it. From the beginning, remember, I keep encouraging you. God's plan, God's purpose is to have a people that he will call his own and in return, they will call him their God. God's purpose, God's plan, even before he spoke and everything was created, that was his purpose. Remember, the cross isn't a second thought. It wasn't plan B. Plan A has always been the cross. It's always been reconciling men and women to their creator. That the created would love its creator. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it didn't take God by surprise. God made a way through the fall of man to redeem man. Not by our works. Not by you trying so hard to be good so that God will love you. No, the gospel tells us that God loves us first. He loves us, yet though we are in complete rebellion towards Him. That we are enemies of God. 
before we come to the knowledge of God, we are an enemy, every single one of us. We are an enemy. We are born in a nature that loves itself. It's all about me. It's all about me, myself, and I. Do for me, give me. We demand our rights. We, We are in this flesh that is consuming us and devouring us. And God knows that side of us. God knows that we are an enemy of his, but yet God loves us. But his love doesn't allow us to remain an enemy towards him. God made made a way for us to be free, set free from the power of sin and death. That's all your flesh knows. That's what it craves. The flesh craves the created. And the created things are passing away. You weren't meant to, to crave the created. You were designed to crave your creator. And so God made a way through Jesus, through Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, no matter what your background was, no no matter what your sin is, no matter what's going on in your life, in, in your thoughts, or how bad you were yesterday or even five minutes ago, the Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do we believe in Jesus? Not a religion that just slaps Jesus on its doors. But Jesus, the Son of God, the risen Savior, the great I Am, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, praying for us. Do you believe that's what Jesus is doing right now for you? The Bible says he's interceding. He's praying for all of us. That's what he does. That's what he does. And yet we've been lied to about him. From the enemy, that realm in which we cannot see, that the Bible says that that's really what we're at war against. It's not with flesh and blood, but it's with the principalities in the air of the darkness. The world system hates Jesus hates God's throne, and so it tries to entice us to go away from God and to get in to the world system, whatever it may be. And it's changing rapidly. The world is getting darker and darker and more evil and more godless. Everything's being presented to people to live a godless life. Live how you want. And then you have your flesh, which is just consuming anything that's created. But God steps in, reveals himself to us through his son Jesus. 
No greater love than this, you all. No greater love than this. And that's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. And you say yes, and we hear this over and over and over. And I'm glad that you hear it over and over and over. But the question is, what have you done with what you've heard? Because this message of the gospel transforms your life if you believe. If you believe, it transforms you. It doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't change you in a way that, that, that you can't comprehend truly who God is. No, it brings you to a place of reality of really the spiritual condition of your heart and the realization that you were created for eternity. So you're not going to settle for the temporalness of life. You're going to be challenged daily because he doesn't take us out of the world. He leaves us in the world to go forth to announce the good news of the gospel to others who are held captive by that old nature that is an enemy towards him. If you're in Christ, you're no longer an enemy of God. And you say, but what do I do if I've done wrong? Well, you repent. You get up. You recognize, oh God, it's your loving kindness that you're telling me I've done wrong. Thank you. I'm sorry. And you get up and you move on. See, this is the community of believers. This is how the body of Christ should be living together. Worshiping together. Studying together. Advancing the kingdom together. Sharing the good news. Cultivating an atmosphere of worship where Christ is honored when we're together. To encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. Because we recognize the days and the times in which we're living. And we're not scared by them. No, we're hopeful in them. Because we know Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming and returning for those who belong to him. He hasn't abandoned us. The Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. He is with us. God with us. And if you're truly in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. So God, not only with us, but in us. And the comfort that we can take as a believer to apply these truths every day. And that's important, that there's application every day, not just on Sundays or whenever, you know, you get together with other believers, but every day. That's where the transformation comes. It's when you start taking and applying God's truth to your life through the power of the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you into truth. And so this is the standard, not just for some in the church, but for all. For all. That the standard is set for all of us. To live as unto Christ. And as the word of God says, to live as Christ did when he was on the earth. Because we are an extension of him. We are his hands. We are his feet. And that's the hope that we have, you all. That's the hope that we have. That's the good news. Like, There's no other good news out there. 
Though the world system will try, though religion will try, though the dark realm will try, though the flesh will try, it cannot produce that which is good. Only God can. Because God is good. And there's none like Him. There's none like Him. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses to encourage you on community and the importance of you remaining in community, especially as the days get evil, <laughs> that you are remaining in fellowship with Christ and in fellowship with the body of Christ. Where Christ is the head, not man, not theatrics, not religious customs, but where Christ is exalted. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 reads, Let us hold tightly without wavering and to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Again, these scriptures we've heard throughout this year. How have these scriptures impacted your life? Let us hold tightly without wavering. To the hope we affirm. You're not in it one day and out the next day. Oh, I'm following Christ, but now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn from Christ. No, we can't have a double mind. We have to hold firm to the hope. Not to ourselves. Not to, oh, did I do good today? Did I do bad today? Did I do good today? See, you can't make it about you. I've always told you, when you turn your Christian life and you focus on you, you're focusing on the wrong one. You in your own strength will always fail. You in your own strength will not only fail, but you will lead yourself into condemnation and shame. Poor me, I'm a bad Christian. I can't do anything right. Maybe this isn't for me. And you start thinking all of these thoughts that only produce works of the flesh, that its desire is to draw you away from God. That's the common response. But we are called to hold firmly to our hope. And where's our hope? In Christ. And Christ doesn't change. He's not one way now and then the next way in ten, different in 10 minutes from now. He's the same. And our hope in Him, this is what the Word says, will never disappoint us. Will never disappoint us. So that's what we're holding on to. Christ. Not our works. Not how good we are. How religious we are. No, no, no. We're holding on to Christ. That he began this work in us and he is faithful to complete it. For God, I love this. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Do you trust him, you all? I mean, that's the reality. This is the application. There's days where I go through and the reality is I'm not trusting him. 
I'm trusting in my, my finances. I, I'm trusting in my doctor. I'm trusting in this person or that person or in my job or in that or this or this over here or that behind, behind here. But the reality is you can't put your trust in that. Your trust is in God and God alone. And when you see that you're not fully trusting Him, don't pull away from Him. Go to Him and ask Him, help me to develop that God. Holy Spirit, teach me. Test me. See if there's anything within me, God. I want to know you. I want to trust you. And this, in this, what I'm requesting isn't something I'm thinking of of myself. No, you're giving me the desire for this. And so let us think of ways. And I challenged you all throughout the year. Think of ways to motivate one another, listen to this, to acts of love and good works. See, when you got up and you're getting ready to come for fellowship today with Christ and with the body of Christ, did you think of others that may be here today or maybe is missing today? To say, Lord, help me, motivate me. Not just to, not just to, my neighbor or the lost or this person over here or that person over there, that's all good. That's all nice and that's what you should be doing. But if you can't do it among here, then most likely what you're doing out there is just religious works. (laughs) It's here. It starts in the community where there's transparency, there's vulnerability. That you're learning to get over yourself and to think of others. To reach out to them, to check on them, to meet with them, to have coffee with them, to do something to motivate them. Ask them, how are they doing? Regarding acts of love and good works. Like holding each other accountable. Loving each other. I've always said over the years, if you can't do it here... I don't care what you're doing out there. You could talk to a hundred people all day long about Christ. But if that's not something you're doing among the community of believers, something's wrong. Something is wrong. So the reality is, is this is what we're called to. And then that does not neglect our meeting together. People are so flippant about community nowadays. And yet, though, that's the desire that every created being needs. Everyone. We all want to belong. We all have that urge within us. We just want to be loved. We just want to belong. We want to feel accepted. And yet the ultimate acceptance is in Christ. And his word says, do not neglect your meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another. And did you hear that last part? Especially now the day, that the day of his return is drawing near. This was written years ago. And if it was drawing near then, just think how near it is today. And will be tomorrow. Go to First Peter. 
chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. You see, when you hold up the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God read, and you see that, well, I'm not living that way. Like, wait a minute, no, I'm not, I don't, no, that's not me. Well, if you feel conviction about that, don't beat yourself up. Again, don't make it about you. Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit grow you and mature you, because again, it's not about perfection. It is about maturing. And that's why I've said over the year, if you don't have a passion for community, for the church, for the fellowship with the saints, something's wrong with your religion. Your eternity is more important to me than your temporalness. Your relationship with Christ as your shepherd is more important than me watching you feast with the wolves. There are many people who hear the word, feel the sting of it, and turn from it because they don't want to face truth. You should feel the sting of it. It should like, oh, Because that leads you. His loving kindness leads you to repentance. Why are you turning from him? It's his loving kindness that draws you. But it hurts. It's never easy to die. Because you're dying to yourself. You're saying no to yourself. You're saying, no, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not going to demand how I want it to be. (laughs) Oh God, I just want you... God, I'm sorry. Remember, this is a mirror. You can't look intently into it for the hours that we're together and then get up and walk away from it as in it. it, it I, don't, I don't remember it. You, you can't do that. Oh, you're never going to grow. And so, 2 Peter, I mean, 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. Hear the reading of the Word of God. But you, who? You, are not like that. For you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation. Listen to this. God's very own possession. If you are a Christian, not just by name, there's a lot of people, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And it's going to keep growing. Like, as we can get closer and closer to his return, there's going to be so many people who are saying that they're Christians. <laughs> oh, God, help us. They're not. And you say, well, how dare you say they're not? No, it's the Word of God. It's not me. The Word of God reveals the true children of God. The Word of God reveals. And so there is a way in which we are called to live. And do you hear how the church, how the community is described? You are a chosen people. You are, you are royal priest. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, 
Because of this truth, listen to this, as a result, what? You, who? You, can show others, listen to this, the goodness of God. You see, that's what you're called to do. You're called to live out now. Even when you fall, even when you make a mistake, you get up, you still display the goodness of God to others. Because of the truth, because of the identity that you have in Christ, if you are a believer, if you're truly in Christ, if you've been born again of a new nature, this is your identity. Do you remind yourself each day because you ought to, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, your eyes should open up and you should be able to say, wow, I am chosen by God. I am of royalty. Hear the word of God. I am set apart. I am God's possession. Lord, lead me today. When my feet hit the ground, may they go the way you would lead me and not in my own selfishness today, Lord. Because you've called me, God. You've called me to show others your goodness. But I can't show others God's goodness if I don't believe. If I don't really understand God's goodness. And that's why it's vital that we're growing as a community. That we're encouraging, we're edifying, we're building up. Because there's so much out there trying to rob you of your identity. Presenting other stuff that looks better for you to trade your birthright for something lesser. And when you know you're a Christian, you shouldn't give up your birthright so easily. Because something feels good or tastes good or your desire for it is increasing more than your desire for the presence of God. It goes on. Ah, Listen to this. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once, once, You had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Like this truth alone, if you just take and each day apply it, and if you say, well, I don't know, I don't know what that means, I don't even know what that looks like, then get discipled. Connect with someone here. Reach out to me. Have accountability in your life. Listen to these truths. And I love the fact that before Christ, we're in some type of community. You will gravitate to what your flesh likes. And you will be part of a community. But I love what Scripture says here. Even though you were a part, quote unquote, of a community, you still had no identity as a people. Always searching, always going, doing this, doing that. Well, I'll try this today, I'll try that tomorrow. Maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that. Maybe up and down, left and right, every which way but loose. Always searching. Because you have no identity. But when you're born again of the, the, the nature of God, now you are God's people. 
You have an identity. An identity that will never change. It will never change. Never. Because God is faithful to his promises. It will never change. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 25 through 27. Verse 25 through 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members, hear this, care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You're in Christ. You're in the family of Christ. You're in the community that Christ has established for his plans, his purposes, for his interest, for his goals. It's all for Christ and Christ alone. This is the hope that we have, you all. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Again, scriptures to encourage you in community. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Most important of all, so everyone should perk up. Everyone's ears should be attentive. Most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully, cheerfully, share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. And listen to this, not for your benefit, but for whose? Others. It says, use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything, then everything, Everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. This is how we are to be living. Living for God. Living for God. You see, we once were in darkness, but now we are in light. When I came to Christ, when you came to Christ... We were in utter darkness, gloom and despair, an enemy towards his throne. But God revealed himself to us through his son Jesus. We've humbled ourselves. 
It's like when we read through Isaiah, and I share that, Isaiah looked and said, he's in the presence, he's in the throne room of God, and he goes, oh, I am doomed. See, when you're in the presence of God, apart from Christ, that is your status. You're doomed. You're doomed. But when we humble ourselves in repentance, a genuine repentance, a sincere regret and remorse, we turn from, we are born again of a new nature. We're now brought into the light. And now that nature begins to grow. Just as much as you grew in your flesh nature, you need to grow in your spirit now. Learning of Christ, desiring Christ, loving Christ, loving His church, loving what Christ has established. (laughs) When I came to Christ, I didn't want religion. I wanted Jesus. I wanted Jesus. Like, if you're real, if all of this is true, then I just want you, Jesus. Yes, you need theology. Yes, you need the creeds. And you need to understand and you need to be discipled. You just don't live a reckless life out there. There is order to a Christian life. But one thing that I, that I just couldn't get a taste for is just religion. People who, who knew the Word, who, who may teach the Word, who, who may uphold the traditions of man, but there is no power to transform. There is no life. But when a dead man comes to life, When a dead woman comes to life, listen, everything is new. Like, what? I mean, you just come to life. It's all new. Like, wait a minute. I've been living in darkness. I've been chasing after the wrong things, feasting after the wrong, on the wrong stuff, desiring the wrong. Why am I loving the created? more than the creator, like I've been deceived. But God is so pleased to reveal himself to us and he calls us to live a new way. And it goes against everything who we were. It goes against everything that the world says is right. And it goes against everything that that realm in which you cannot see that is after you to destroy you Like everything of God is the opposite. It's opposite day, every day of your life until you're in heaven. It's opposite day. You feel one way, you say, well, that's not of God. Nope, I don't go that way. All right, so God, how am I to live now? God, I'm not hearing from you. Well, I'm going to call a brother and sister in Christ and say, listen, this is kind of what I'm going through and I'm not quite sure what steps to take. And so we're encouraging, we're edifying, we're building each other up. We're not getting upset because someone steps on our toes because they say, hey, that's the wrong attitude to have, brother. That's the wrong attitude to have, sister. You don't get offended by it. You say, oh, God, they love me enough to hold me up. It may not feel good in the moment, but God, I want your truth. Because you're supposed to be living your life bringing glory to God, utilizing the gift that He has given you. 
to accomplish his plan and his purpose. You're to think of others before you think of yourself. And that is hard to do when we're bound by the flesh, where we're enticed by the world system, and where we're enslaved to that realm that is at war with us. But when you have freedom in Christ, when you know that he who the Son sets free is free indeed, you're not going to settle for bondage. You may put on some chains, you may sit in a cell, but you're always going to feel uncomfortable if you're truly a Christian because you're not going to want to remain there. No, that cell door has been wide open. The chains are off. Get up and walk out and know what freedom is. Who freedom is. So that you can go forth and testify of His goodness and of His love. I started last week. Listen, all I have for you is the Word of God. I'm not going to put a show on for you. I'm not going to shuck and jive and shout and carry on and and, and kick up dust. All I have to give you is the Word of God. So that you're growing. So that you're discussing it throughout the week with other believers. Even if you can't be here on Wednesday night, that maybe you're pairing up with someone else. And you're saying, hey, this is what we discussed this week. Let's go a little bit deeper. How is this impacting your life? How how did this challenge you this week? We need that. It's iron sharpening iron. You, You just can't just, it's just not church. It's just not, oh, I go to church. You know, these other communities out there, their identity is really who they are. And no one's going to challenge them on it. And I've always found that the Christian community is very weak in that. It's the most fascinating thing. I mean, years ago I said, I'm going to write a book. What the church can learn from the gay community. I mean, it's phenomenal. Or what the church can learn from this community or that community. What the church can learn from gangs. (laughs) I mean, if you look at what these other communities are doing out there. They know who they are. And we're so wishy-washy. We just let anything and everything in. Well, we don't want to offend people. Well, Jesus, you know. And we make this weird assumption that we're to deny Christ in order for people to be one for Christ. That doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense at all. And I said, do we truly know who we are? Do we truly treasure our identity now? I know how I would live in myself. You all know how you would live if, if not for Christ. If you're in Christ, I know what I would go back to. 
But why would I? Why would you? And that's what Jesus asked his disciples when the thousands of others left him because it became too spiritual. He asked them, are you leaving too? Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like, God, where can I go? As many times throughout the years, I have fought, I have wrestled, I have told God, I don't want this. I I don't know why you called me. I don't know why you revealed yourself to me. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Back to that? For what? It's all created stuff. The relationships. The desires, the wants, the needs. Focusing on the created, that which is passing away. I'm like, why would I want that when the eternal has been revealed? (laughs) When the creator himself loved me enough to say, here, through my son, I've made a way for you to be at peace with me. I have called you out as my own. Oh, there's a way in which you ought to be living. And so I started last week. I, I want to give you the word of God. I, I want to give you, I want to give you understanding theological terms. And so that's what we started last week with the term adoption. So I want to give you a definition of a major theological term this week. And as we've been going through our study, Behold Your God on Fridays nights, it's a powerful, powerful study. I think it should be a mandatory study for every Christian on the face of the earth. And when you give your life to Christ, you need to go through this study because it is so, so, so good. And it's so rich with truth and knowledge. And so the word that we're learning today, and I know those of you on Friday nights have heard this already, but for those who haven't been, or for maybe you have heard it, but you really didn't lay hold of it, well, here's another opportunity to learn these terms. The next one we're going to learn is atonement. And so here's the definition. Atonement refers to God's activity. Whose activity? God's activity, not your religious duties, not you trying so hard to be good or to get to church. No, no, it's God's activity which reconciles us to himself. Restoring our friendship with him. Oh God, would you get excited today? (laughs) By removing the guilt of our sin. Are you still bound by guilt of your sin as a believer? You ought not to be because it's been removed. You see how the enemy lies. You see how the world system lies to you. Do you see what you do to yourself, what the flesh does? The guilt of your sin has been removed because God restored your friendship with him. Because of his activity, not yours. I prayed seven times a day, up and down, left and right. I did this, I read ten scriptures, I this, I this, I did this, I did that. Please. (laughs) 
the freedom comes in saying, God, I can't, but you can. You know, the Bible says, and I think we'll see in a little bit too, that he makes a way out of every temptation. You always, you, you will be tempted, but he makes a way out of every temptation. And I've learned over the years, you know how he does it? Because he reminds me of his goodness. He reminds me of the atonement. What was provided because of him, that I can be restored to him, be a friend with him, and have the guilt of my sin removed off my life. Woo! When you understand the freedom that you have in Christ, why would you keep denying him? Why would you turn from him? Why would that even be a thought in your mind and in your heart? Oh, would you hear the definition of atonement? Refers to God's activity which reconciles us to himself, restoring our friendship with him by removing the guilt of our sin. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, carrying our guilt, was the means by which God atoned for our sins. How did he remove the guilt of our sin, because he laid it upon Jesus. <laughs> Cheer God. Church, where we wake up. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? We are restored to the living God. And everything that you see out here in the natural realm wants to keep you from that reality. But God is so pleased to reveal himself to us. And when you, when you get the revelation, it's like, what have I been settling for? Like, God, you removed it from me. And that's why I've always told you, you should be living a transparent life. How many people sit in church confused, depressed, overwhelmed, condemned? It's a miserable way to live. Oh, God, that's how we go to church. Can't do nothing. I've got a boring life. God, you know, oh, it's crazy what we do. But when you know that you know that you know who your God is, you're not going to just throw it aside. (laughs) God put it on Christ. He carried our guilt. He took our punishment for no other reason but because he loves us. He desires us. We were created for him. Created for him. I'm telling you all, it's liberating. And so I'm challenging us to grow. Listen, I know, I know, and the word tells us, people in the last days, as it keeps getting closer to his return, people aren't going to want to hear this type of preaching. This isn't going to draw the crowds. In fact, it'll have me arrested and put in, put in jail or, or murdered. 
The Bible says they're only going to want to hear what's pleasing to their ear. We want the right to live the way we're living, have our celebrations, drink, dance, carry on like a fool, and I still want the right to call myself a Christian and say God loves me and delivered me in Christ. I want that right. Well, you may want that right, but that's not God's plan. You're making a mockery of Christ. And you're trampling on His blood and you don't know truth and it has not set you free. So I want to share these terms with you. That the It's biblical terms. <laughs> it's biblical terms. So that's the second term. Last week we learned of adoption. You say, well, I wasn't here last week. I don't know. Then go read the notes because you're going to have the def- The notes are given. They're emailed. They're, they're on Facebook. You should sit down. You, you should connect. You should... Come if you can on Wednesday nights or pick another day or an hour to get with someone. If me, if not me, with someone else, a part of the fellowship and discuss. What does this mean? How, how has this impacted your life? Like, I'm not sure how to apply it. Like, you just have to be real. See, that's why you have to be transparent. You, you can't just stay locked up in here. Because <laughs> the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. Changing the way we think. The battlefield is the mind. I also want to share scriptures that summarize what God must do for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. We started this last week. Gave you three scriptures and hopes to encourage you to go back and meditate upon these, apply them, God gives us insight in His Word, what He has accomplished for a sinner to be born again and become a Christian. To become a Christian. And that's why I've always told you, whoa, the phrase that gets me the most is when I hear people say, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm always going to sin. And I say, that's what you're relating to? That's what you're identifying with? Your sin is greater than your God? If you're a Christian. Like Christians are so quick to say that. Well, who are you to judge? We're all just sinners. Saved by grace. And do we realize when we say that, that how that cheapens what God has accomplished in our lives? As if grace is meaningless. Well, we're just sinners, saved by grace, so we're just going to keep on sinning. (laughs) And the Bible says in Romans, because Paul had to deal with that craziness in the church back then, because there's nothing new. The enemy throws the same craziness at the church today as he did, did then and as he will tomorrow. What then shall you say? Shall you continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't you know that if you died with him, you've been raised up with him into a new life? (laughs) Your identity, if you're a Christian, is a believer. You're in Christ. And you say, but are we going to sin? 1 John says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. 
But if you do, remember, Jesus, you don't keep sinning. You don't just keep running amok. You just don't keep chasing the temporalness, chasing the created to fulfill whatever desire and want and need that you have because you've said, you've declared that that person is dead because of Christ. Because you've nailed those passions, you've nailed those desires to his cross. And so I don't identify any longer as a sinner. I identify as a child of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, chosen, set apart. But you sinned, Rob. Yeah, and I got up. Come on. Why am I going to identify with the nature that has been defeated? What does the Bible teach? Jesus, through his resurrection, defeated the power of sin and death. And we want to keep going around. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Who? That's why you must know what God has accomplished for you so that you can defeat the lies of the enemy, that you will not be led astray by the lies of the world system, and that you won't be led astray by those old desires. Because the Bible and Galatians tell you the flesh and the spirit, they're going to war against each other. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. You better get up and understand what it means to dress yourself in the armor of God and not just make it a Sunday attendance. But you realize that you have been called out of darkness. Do you understand the day and age in which we are living? It's chaotic You thought it was a few years ago. Look at today what you woke up to. Look at what's going to come tomorrow and the next day and the couple of years from now. And the church should be thriving. Not questioning who she is. And that's why I keep telling you we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. No, no, you got to get rooted. You got to get grounded because the storm is a blowing. And when trees are not fully rooted, they get uprooted and tossed to and fro. Oh, but no, you want your roots to get in Christ, deep into Christ. For God's sakes, we're living in a day and age where it's past the bill that babies that come from the womb can be aborted. And there's so-called Christian women (laughs) applauding it. What kind of hell are we living in? How did we get to this point? Because people want to live for themselves. Filth is rising. Murder, strife, chaos is rising. But we just go to work and come home, shut our door. Well, it's not affecting any. Oh, but it is. Because you're going along with it from what you're watching. Oh, but it's just a show. <laughs> Keep laughing along. And you're promoting the very thing that the enemy's out there doing. 
Where's the righteousness and holiness of the church? We are to be separate. Set apart for His purpose. I keep telling you, there's going to come a time, and it's coming quickly, where you're going to have to decide, Christ or my job? Christ or my family? Christ or groceries? (laughs) And you say, oh, but that's extreme. Oh, open up your word. As a nation, we are mocking God. As a nation, we have turned from God. God has a remnant of His people in this nation. Praise God. Because as long as the people of God are upon this earth, there is still hope for those who are still bound. But the church better wake up in the West. We keep thinking somehow we're privileged. We're the privileged ones on the earth. (laughs) No, no, no. A rude awakening is coming. Oh, it's already upon us. This isn't this isn't joking anymore. Like this is the reality. And we just want to sing kumbaya. We just we'll show up when we can. We'll we'll do okay. Oh, I don't want to be in Jesus. Uh, oh, this is too heavy of a learning. This is, oh. <laughs> and all hell is after your identity. The world system is trying to demand you to look at it. And your flesh is demanding it's right. And God all along is standing there saying, here I am. I am pleased to reveal myself to you through my son Jesus. Look at what has been accomplished for you so that you can live and not die, so that you will experience the fullness of my love and not the fullness of my wrath. So that's why I'm passionate to to share the word of God with you. Not Rob's word, but the word of God. To share these definitions, to to share these scriptures so that you can take them back and say, God, this is what you did for me? Like you can sit down, you can open up your Bible. You can begin to discipline yourself with devotion time, with prayer time, with worship, with fellowship so that you're growing And so that God can use you in these last days. Hebrews 10. Back to the book of Hebrews. (laughs) Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Again, these are scriptures that summarize what God must do for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 11 through 14. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and the ministers before and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again, which can never take away sins. But Praise God. (laughs) Our high priest. Who's our high priest as believers? Jesus. 
But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Listen to this. Circle this. Highlight this. Grasp this. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. And here we go. Oh, here we go. Good for all time. All time. Not just the day you repented, but for what you're going to do wrong tomorrow. (laughs) For what you're going to do wrong next week. Because you're going to remember what Christ has done. Remember? John, 1 John, I write to you that you will not sin, but if you do, remember Jesus. You fall in trap, you fall enslaved to sin, and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, get up. It's His loving kindness that brings you back. Because He's already paid for it all. For it all. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever, forever made perfect those, oh my Jesus, I really, uh, who are being made holy. I don't know what that does for you. But oh, how I pray it does something. And you say, but it doesn't. Well, then, please, let's sit down. Like, do do you hear? Just ask God, then open up my eyes, God. I want to understand. Why is he so excited? (laughs) For by that one offering, he forever made perfect. Made perfect. Those who are being made holy. The process of sanctification. We're not perfected until we're with Him. But He is maturing us. He is growing us. And in the eyes of God, through Christ, we have been made perfect. I mean, come on, you all. Go to Romans chapter 3. Just verse 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for what? Sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. Did you hear that? For God presented who? Jesus. As a sacrifice for what? Sin. People. Who? People. You. Me. Are made right with God. When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life Shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair. You see how good God is, you all. You see, we've been lied to again about God. But when you get to know him, you see how good he is, and you see what he has accomplished for us, why would we keep wrestling with him? Why would we be in one day and out tomorrow? 
Those thousands of followers, the Bible calls them disciples of Jesus, when he started talking the, the, the truth of who he was and, and where he was heading to, they turned from him. What is he saying? This is too hard for us to understand. As soon as they got spiritual and little depth, they couldn't show up for church. <laughs> they went back to what they liked. But the twelve, even though one was still a traitor, (laughs) where can we go? You see, when you have the words of eternal life, when you know what he's accomplished for you, you're not going to want to settle, you all. You're not going to want to settle. Go to the last one, Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17. Hebrews 2, verse 17. Again, these three scriptures, they summarize what God must do for a sinner in order for them to become a Christian. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, it was necessary for him, who? Jesus. To be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters. So that he, who, Jesus, could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. (laughs) What would you just breathe that in? This is Jesus, you all. Fully God, fully man in the flesh. To take upon your guilt, your punishment, so that your sins, your guilt, could be wiped away. No one else is going to do that for you. No other person, no other addiction, no nothing else is going to fulfill you or complete you like Jesus does. And yet people are running from him. You're at war with this realm that you cannot see. It's a lesser power. And yet people are settling to be enslaved to a lesser power. You have the world system influencing you. Pulling you away from truth. Just to satisfy that flesh that wants nothing more than to feast off the created. To kill you. Ultimately to rob you of your identity that you will purpose for. Don't forget, God purposed you. God planned you. God formed you. God numbered the hairs on your head. God has prepared good works for you to do even before you were placed in your mother's womb. It's all for Him, you all. It's all for Him. And so I do hope you would go back and you would study and you would get in the Word. I hated to study. I hated to read. I'm not an educated man. Oh, I don't like to read. I don't like to study. But when God was pleased to reveal Himself to me, I had to devour this. And your flesh isn't going to want to. I told you before, there are many a times I would start and Doze off, like, oh, 
Like, none of this is making sense. And then I realized, oh, that's, no, 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 you're, you're flesh, you're not going to do that to me. Like, I just, I just got up and just started reading and walking. I'll, I'll walk. I'll do what I need to do because I'm not going to let nothing keep me from what God has for me. I understand that realm. But I already recognize you are a, you are a false realm. You are a lesser power. I already recognize the world system, especially when I came across the scripture where it says, no, 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 you're, you're already dead to it. The world has no influence on you and you are not desiring that of the world. <laughs> and what it's trying to offer me is contrary to what the kingdom of God has. So why would I trade the royal position I have for a temporal position on this earth. No thank you. And then my flesh and all of its desires and wants. I had to remind myself, you've given yourself over to everything and anything and it still left you at a place where you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> what do you have for me? Even when the flesh wants to bring back in the world system and the realm that which I cannot see wants to bring back the so-called love of my life. 30 some odd years, however many years it's been. And go, oh. Huh, that's hysterical. Through all these years. Now you want to bring him to the forefront. Ah, it may have worked way, 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 way back then. <laughs> but why on earth would I walk away from the greatest love of all? <laughs> the greatest love of all. Yeah, no, no, no. So we got to get to a place Cheryl, where we are content in Christ. We know who he is. We know who we are. We're not settling for less any longer. We've been lied to long enough. We've been shackled up long enough. We've been dragged through the mud long enough. Now it's time to get up and let the blood of Christ cleanse us and begin to live for Christ and to know Christ and to love Christ. Go to second. No, let's do the Heidelberg Catechism. Part three, gratitude. It's a lot, I know. I had people tell me, you know, the other day, they were saying, how's your service goes? And as I was sharing, they, were, they had like this deer in the headlight. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, just listen. <laughs> and listen. I, and I told, I told them, I said, it's fascinating, you will look like, oh, I'm not looking. No, no, I see how you're looking. <laughs> I said, but trust me, the responsibility of a shepherd the few that show, I only have a couple hours with them and hopes, and hopes that they would be awakened to take what they have, feed off of it, and allow the Holy Spirit to equip them for what they're up against for the rest of the week. You think two and a half hours is too much? Think about the rest of the hours for the week. That everything else is screaming at them. 
deny him, deny him, deny him, deny him, deny him. Everything out there, deny him, deny him, deny him, deny him. And you think two and a half hours is a bit too much. Well, maybe it is. But I know when I rest in that grave, I've done what I've been called to do. To equip the church. The Heidelberg Catechism is yet another tool. Part 3, Gratitude. Lord's Day 33. Questions. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Again, I'm utilizing this tool in hopes to equip you to defend the faith. You should be able to defend the faith. You should be able to have spiritual conversations with people. So someone asks you, what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things. The dying away of the old self and the rising to new life. And there's scriptures that you're going to get in the notes to go and study. To understand this. This is genuine conversion. Like the early church, and from the birth of the church until Christ returns, the mark of a believer, a true believer, one who's been born again, is a transformed life. Not just one that just slaps Jesus on their life and just keeps running through the mud. (laughs) What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. Second question, what is the dying away of the old self? Well, here's the answer. To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. And there's scriptures there. To genuinely be sorry, to that genuine we spend a whole year on repentance. <laughs> the, the remorse, the regret. Ugh. You hate it. You hate it. (laughs) Next question. All right, so we dealt with the dying of self. So the next question. Well, what is the rising to the new life? Wholehearted, I love this answer. It's found in scripture. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. My life, your life is transformed. Wholehearted joy. The word of God is not burdensome to you. Oh, I just got to live this way. I gotta, can't do this anymore. No, go do it because you're not genuine. If you, and that's what I've always told you. If you want to live chasing the created, that is your right. That is your right, but stop dragging the name of Christ with you. <laughs> the Christian life is not a defeated life like, oh, and we just, oh, just laugh and mock at it. No. It's a wholehearted joy in God through Christ, a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work because of God. Finally, what are good works? 
only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for God's glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human religious tradition. There's scriptures that you'll get. God would just sit down, feast off of them, chew on it, meditate on it. Go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to get us to a close today. 1 Corinthians. Oh, no, not yet. Thank you. This is the scripture I added this morning in my prayer time. I need you to go to something I've shown you before, but Lord, let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 15. Lessons from Israel's idolatry. Oh, we better perk up. Especially when we have ministers today who are saying, oh, you don't need the Old Testament. You know, if they could do away with the Old Testament, they're going to liberate you to keep sinning and living however you want. Just so you know that. So when you hear popular preachers on the television that, or that have thousands upon millions following them, and they say to you, you don't need the Old Testament. Shut them off. They're all, they are a wolf in sheep clothing. Listen. And you need to hear this for what we're about to enter into, the second Kings. Paul writes, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, and he's writing to the church, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happen. Oh God, perk up, highlight, circle, do what you need to do to put this in front of you. These things happen. What things? Everything you read in the Old Testament. These things happen as a warning. To who? To us. So that we would not, oh God, hear this, crave evil things as they did. Or worship idols as some of them did. As scriptures say, the people celebrated, these, and these are God's people. <laughs> they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan rivalry. Rivalry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then die from snake bites. Unless we want to just stop there. No, let's deal with the other side, the grumblers, the complainers. And don't grumble as some of them did. And then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down, listen to this, oh God, 
highlight it, circle it. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So my dear brothers, or so my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are a reasonable people. Decide for yourself if what I'm saying is true. Come on. Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 17. People should be the most equipped Christians out there in Orlando. Lord mercy sakes alive. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 1 through 18, verse 12. Don't get too overwhelmed. When I, I'm just going to kind of give you a brief summary of what's happening. We'll go in depth on Wednesday. Or you can go read it. That's why I send the scriptures out early so that you can study them throughout the week. But this portion of scripture, I don't know about you, but I wept over it. These are God's people. This is, remember, is, they're divided. You have Israel now, you have the northern kingdom, you have the, the southern kingdom, Judah. And these kings have been a hot mess. The northern kingdom, Israel, and it's not, it's, and it's them, it's not God. Like they refuse God. God sent prophets. God sent signs. I mean, they knew that they knew, and yet they kept turning from God. Turning from God. Chasing after their own desires, wants, needs, and everything else. They wanted to be like the other nations. Why can't they get away with it? We want to worship like they worship. We want what they have. And they start introducing everything into their worship. Just like the church is doing today. Everything's being introduced into the church. Hosea, son of Elah, began to rule over Israel in the 20th, I mean, I'm sorry, the 12th year of King Ahaz's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as the kings of Israel who ruled before him. So this king decided that he wasn't going to pay any more to be protected by the king of Assyria. And that ticked that king off of Assyria. Verse 5, Then the king of Assyria invaded the entire land. And for three years he besieged the city of Samaria. Finally, in the ninth month of King Hosea's reign, Samaria fell, O God, and the people of Israel were exiled to Assyria. Do you understand? These are God's people. 
God delivered them into this promised land. They did not honor God. They wanted what the other nations had. They became like the nations that God drove out of that land to give them. And so now God says, I'm turning you over to those nations. And we see that all through Scripture. You refuse God's kindness, mercy, grace, and love. He's going to turn you over to what you are demanding. They wanted to be like these other nations. And now they're taken captive and they're losing what God had delivered them to. Oh, hear that. He settled them all in all these other towns and cities and all this other stuff. And then he moved his people into this empty place now. Let's go to verse 7 real quick. Just so we get a clear picture. This disaster, this disaster of the northern of Israel being taken captive, this disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshipped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven them from and the land ahead of them, as well as the practices the kings of Israel had introduced. The people of Israel had also security, I mean, I'm sorry, secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. They built pagan shrines for themselves in all their towns from the smallest outposts to the largest walled city. They set up sacred pillars and astral poles at the top of every hill and under every green tree. They offered sacrifices on the hilltops, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So the people of Israel had done many evil things, arousing the Lord's anger. Yes, they worshipped idols despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. Again and again, the Lord has sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah. Turn from your evil ways. Obey my commands and decrees, the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I gave you through my servants, the prophets. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors. And they despised all of his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols. So they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves from metal. They set up an Asherah pole and worshipped Baal and all the forces and, and all the forces of heaven. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. Because the Lord was very angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained in the land. But even the people of Judah refused to obey the commands of the Lord their God, for they followed the evil practices that Israel had, in, had introduced. 
The Lord rejected all of the descendants of Israel. He punished them by handing them over to their attackers until he had banished Israel from his presence. For then the Lord tore Israel away from the kingdom of David. They chose Jeroboam, son of Nabat, as their king. But Jeroboam drew Israel away from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. And the people of Israel persisted in all the evil ways of Jeroboam. They did not turn from these sins until the Lord finally swept them away from his presence, just as all of his prophets had warned. So Israel was exiled from the land to Assyria, where they remain to this day. To this day. I said, God help us. This is written to warn us. Remember what we just read in Corinthians? This is a warning to the people who live at the end of the age. We are not called to live like the world. We are Christians. We are covered by the blood of Christ. We have been born again. If you're in Christ, you're just not holding a form of religion, but you've truly been born again, you are to walk as Christ walked and lived. You understand the warnings that are laid out for us. We'll go further on Wednesday about how the foreigners settled in and then the Lord sent lions in to attack them. And so they went back to the king of Syria and he was like, hey, take one of those priests from that land and send him back and have him teach them how to worship the God of that land. But the foreigners didn't even listen. As they were learning to of the God of the land, (laughs) they kept all their practices going. And then chapter 18 goes into Hezekiah's rule in Judah. And I love about Hezekiah, I'm just going to read the first part. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Ajah, a daughter of Zechariah. And listen to this, this is so pleasing. He did what was pleasing to the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. And listen to this. He removed the pagan shrine, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. Remember the bronze serpent that Moses raised up so that people would be healed? They began to worship that instead of their God. And it's no different what happens in the church today. We worship most of our traditions and customs than we do the God of the traditions and customs. God help us. God help us. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord, I love this, was with him. And Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Everything that he did. Go to Acts chapter 20. Lessons that we can learn, you all. (laughs) We serve the living God. He's not a made-up, man-made God. He is God. 
Last week we read, and there was an uproar going on in Ephesus, and these people were mad because people were coming to Jesus, and they weren't buying the little trinkets to, to worship the idols. <laughs> so, verse 20, I mean, chapter 20, we pick up. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. So while, he, while there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia. And then we understand that there were several men who were traveling with him. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 7. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Itch, Itch, I'm sorry, Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. Paul went to the land of Assos, where he had arranged for us to join him. While he traveled by ship, he joined us there. Verse 16, Paul had decided to sail on, sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when he landed, he sent a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. So here comes the leaders of the church from the town of Ephesus. When they arrived, he, de he declared, You know that from that day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me, from the plots of the Jews, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have, I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity, the what? The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except, oh, listen to this, <laughs> except that the Holy Spirit tells me in the city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. The Spirit of God is equipping Paul to know what's before him. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus What's the work? To tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful 
If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves. And God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church. Purchase with His own blood. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. And listen to this. Perk up. Don't lose interest yet. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. And hear this. Even some men from your own group, those among them, as Paul's speaking, he says, even some of you will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has, listen to this, set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver, gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I had never been, I'm sorry, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. God help us, you all, to stand for truth, to uphold truth, to beat back the wolves as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The call of a Christian is not a cakewalk. (laughs) And that's why it's important that you're dressed in the armor of the Lord, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to utilize you to share the gospel of Christ. 148, Psalms 148, we're coming to a close. Psalm 148, oh, that we would praise the Lord, that we would know our God, that we would live for our God, and that we would worship our God. Praise the Lord, the psalmist writes. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the skies. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all the armies of heaven. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you twinkling stars. Praise Him, skies above. Praise Him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For He issued His command. And listen to this. And they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. He decreed, His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths, fire and hell, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey Him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all the pe- all the people rulers and judges of the earth young men young women 
old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. For His name, oh Jesus, is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. He has made His people strong, honoring His faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to Him. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 18. Two nuggets of wisdom. Oh, that we would know our God, you all. If you don't know Him, if you're not in Christ, if you've not been born again, I don't know what this world has captivated you by. That gives you the thought that it's greater than our God, because it surely isn't. Proverbs 18, verse 6 and 7. Fools... Words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. (laughs) The mouths of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. There is a way in which we ought to live, and that way is to honor Christ our King. Let's end with this last song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Oh, how I pray, Lord Jesus, that